What's up, family? Welcome back to the Stop Sinking Show, where we go from struggle to flow. There is no reaching flow without the topic of discussion that we have today. So let's talk vices and virtues. Vices hide in plain sight. They creep into our life and make a home in our habits and our personalities. They can be personality downfalls like leaning into envy, into greed, lust, sloth, or arrogance. Or most commonly, vices are indulgences into behaviors that bring upon these personality pitfalls like drugs, alcohol, chasing sex, gambling, expedience or suppression of any sort. Vices are contagious and infectious. You can pick them up easily by what you're around. They're easily obtained. They have a magnetic outer layer and encounter little resistance in attempting to occupy our character. Vices deliver the sweet promise up front first and settle the cost on the back end. Their cost is obscured, paid in increments or hidden in return for an instantaneous reward. Virtues aren't as readily acquired. They are earned and adhered to through exerted deference Virtues are observed. They are determinations against the pull of vices. They come built in with a prickly outer shell instead of a magnetic one that almost immediately creates a challenge and resistance in attempt to populate our being. Virtues ask for settlement up front. They ask for payment up front and deliver the sweet promise on the back end. The price paid for choosing virtues is acutely pronounced. It's up front and it delivers its gains on the back end. Our every day is casted from one or the other. We are molded and sculpted by the indulgence one pulls us towards or the dignity the other one pushes us too. The fruits of each day are redeemed in accordance to the side from which you pluck. You satiate only to the level of the harvest you reap from either side of this dichotomy. The sum total of our existence, all we take and leave behind, hangs in the balance of this daily tug of war. Vice or virtue? I think we fail to recognize how much of our life can be simply accounted for through these terms and these terms only. We fail to see how large a freight these carry into the realization of who we are and who we become. How much our life just hangs in the balance of leaning one way or the other. You can probably divide society and each individual's ensued footing or standing by judging the length of their adherence to one side or the other. 
Our station in life is matched to the degree of how much time we spend on each side of this fence. Which side of the fence? How much spent in the indulgent vices or transcendent in virtues? Rich and happy versus poor and miserable can be audited and understood from this lens of which side you frequent most. My brokest of friends are those who spend the most time chasing women. Those who are overly concerned with appearances tend to be also morally, energetically, and financially bankrupt. They get their status from a facade. They forego excellence for expedience. But it doesn't have to be this way. You see, virtue is the great equalizer. Anyone can be virtuous. It doesn't take natural-born talent or endowment. There is no discrimination or prejudice in the benefits that flow to any man of virtue, especially because of the rarity and difficulty Anyone with consistent application in living virtuously can climb the ranks and prove themselves to be worthy of just about anything that constrains the ordinary man. A man of virtue finds his way to the top of the hierarchy while having to bury less on the way up that might compromise the integrity of his earned positioning. There are less skeletons in his closet, less landmines to evade. On his way up, he also paves a virtuous path that lends assistance to those who may follow. His virtuous effort is rewarded in multiples, of course, for what he does for himself, but also for what he leaves behind. His very existence etches evolution and expansion. On the other hand, indulgence in vices will dissolve the greatest of men. You can start out with all the advantages in the world and have built up a store of progress and soil it all in the grip of vices. You can drown your entire existence with the unquenchable thirst drinking from this fountain of vices. You will be too numb or apathetic to even notice it happening. Currently, I'm in India. What they now consider a brick-developing, emerging country but much of which I would still consider a substandard and third world country. Probably going to upset a lot of people by saying that, but it's the truth. And many people realistically here survive even with a full-time income on no more than $10 a day. Probably 6 to $8 a day for the most part. And I'm sure you can imagine that the priorities of a life in privation are different than what we are used to in the Western world. You learn to adjust much of your liking, your tastes, and unfortunately, even your aspirations in accordance to what you are surrounded by. Your priorities change. And I don't think it's a coincidence that India is also considered a deeply religious country. It has a religious cultural history. In poverty, during hardship, we tend to turn to either faith or folly. We seek strength in either our virtues or seek escape in our vices. It's a means of survival at the bottom rung of the hierarchy. 
Now, this isn't an episode on the East, but to bring home a point, the problem when you have the rigid social mobility and the rigid class or caste structure of a country like India, on top of limited resources and overpopulation, is that people, and I even mean people through multiple generations, start to accept instead of push against their lot in life. A person born in a certain family with a history of a certain income level and lifestyle will grow into just accepting the same for themselves. Even people younger than me, people who work for me that are in their early 20s, they have all accepted the social structure and their place within it. I have literally had 24-year-olds tell me that they have already played their cards wrong and their entire hope now is to live for their kids at 24 and hope that they can provide their kids with a decent upbringing and education to help transcend them past the limitations that they themselves have readily accepted. At even their young age, at 24, the shackles have already hardened around their ankles and their necks, and they have learned how far they can venture from their home base of expectations. Their lack of exposure and being caught in the basic pursuit of sustenance has dampened any drive to actualize more. And you would say, well, duh, T, that's what Maslow was trying to tell us. How can you expect these people to climb the levels or even think of anything other than the basic physiological needs of food, water, shelter, and safety? Of course, they're stuck in the basic pursuit of sustenance. And I would agree with you to an extent. But here's where I wonder a question that I don't know or claim to have an answer to. If you recognize the individual as a sovereign one, as one that has power, as a sovereign individual, and pull him away this sovereign individual, from the low-resolution blur of poor people in a poor country with expected poor life quality, if you pull this sovereign individual out of this blur group that you put them in, if you actually interact on a one-on-one basis with these individuals, before they get lost in the sea and grouped into the poor, that we can so easily and neatly identify and generalize. For that sovereign individual, I wonder a question. How much of your said station in life or your destiny is a consequence of your acceptance? How much of it can be altered by rejecting what is and what has been for generations in your family and then creating an alternate reality? How much of your continued, notice I didn't say starting, continued placement in Maslow's hierarchy is a result of your own making? Now, before you call me insensitive to the realities of some of these people's situation, I want to call out something that a sovereign individual also does, regardless of his station in life, that either confirms that he stays where he is or not. 
Now, you wouldn't even bat an eye if I said this about a Western country because the ability to mobilize yourself through any of the social ranks is widely accepted. But you would call me insensitive here because there's rigidity in that social mobility. There's a lot of poverty and a lot of overpopulation. It is more accepted in the West that if you are where you are, that a part of you is choosing to remain there. And I can understand the empathy extended to a developing nation where it is not as easy just to go get a high-paying job if you just work hard. It's not just that less opportunities are afforded to these people, it's also the reality and the fact that less opportunities are realistically available. But I want to call out, and this is where it relates to this topic that we're on, I want to call out, regardless of which part of the globe that you are in, or the deficits in your surroundings, like you as an individual on a daily basis still have the power to choose between vice or virtue. Here in India, no matter how poor, no matter how struggling, I would argue that on some level, that choosing to indulge in vices is akin to choosing the brand of shackles around your neck. I have seen the poorest of housekeepers, the poorest of drivers, impose no such limitations on their vices as they accept for their virtues. I personally have encountered multiple people in privation, in poverty, who work and have multiple kids at a young age, who also have completely given up all hope for themselves and what they may or may not be able to accomplish in life, have encountered these people carry over no such loss from their station in life in pursuing their basal, primal vices. I have seen these people have multiple girlfriends, cheat on their wives, have multiple wives, multiple kids with multiple wives, find a way to drink every day, lie, steal, and downright transgress on all matters of reliability, loyalty, honor, and justice. Regardless of how poor they may be, they think that they are below attaining what they hope one day their kids might but they don't discount themselves from indulging in the lowest possible vibrational activities. And that's where I go back to my original question that I don't have an answer for, where I wonder, regardless of East or West and their disadvantages, I wonder how much of our placement in the bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is an effect versus a cause. How much of our behaviors are governed and limited by where we sit versus how much of where we sit is governed by our behaviors. How much of our willingness to toe the balance into virtues would affect how much we actualize and move up in the hierarchy? Because I do believe the indiscriminate indulgence in vices, despite being confined by the same parameters of privation, contributes to congealing your place firmer in that bottom rung. That despite the same challenges, 
that you must navigate to continue to have hope as a 24-year-old born in a country into a family with low odds, that your choices still matter. And if you can find a way to get your bottle of whiskey and satisfy your lust, that you can then also find a way to fulfill your higher aspirations. But again, to pursue virtue is an arduous path. It's the long game with its intoxicating promise delivered with a delay. And the vice gratifies instantly. It's intoxication blinding and deterring from the long-term thinking. One of the main reasons I stopped drinking was because of this. I've always recognized that drinking was not good for me and my brain doesn't work the best when I drink and that it's a waste of time. But what brought it home the most was this realization. These stark examples this year in front of me were men who, no matter what, will get their fix. I couldn't help but wonder what part of the wrong I'm shackling myself to by indulging and making room for my vices. How much hope I'm deferring into a future me that could be realized if I didn't sedate myself from the pangs of reality. It's a form of useful judgment that I did not want to be in the same sentence or match the habits of these same people who no matter what they accomplished or earned for the day, no matter how much progress they made or did not make, they nevertheless found a way to indulge. And it's understandable. It is human nature to vibrate low. Darwin said, man, with all his noble qualities, still bears in his bodily frame the indelible stamp of his lowly origin. We automatically vibrate to satiate our lowest primal frequency. We will make room for vices no matter what is going on in our life. No matter how few reserves we have in the tank or the bank. We are at the mercy of our primitive urges to chase women and promiscuity over pursuing excellence and contributing something of value to the world. We are bent towards consumption over creation, to seek pleasure over purpose. And without purpose, you distract yourself with even more pleasure. It's a never-ending loop. Virtue, on the other hand, is of a higher vibration. You can say it's a vehicle on a path headed north towards the peak of the hierarchy. And I would argue that no matter your designation in life, that it costs nothing to be humble, to have integrity, to maintain discipline, to indulge in moderation, to be sincere, to inspire trust, to accept responsibility, to practice patience and faith, to forgive, to strive for honor, to remain humble, to provide loyalty, and so many things that it costs you nothing. And this virtuous path leads you to higher ground no matter your starting point. As humans, 
even though we are naturally pulled below like gravity, our primary imperative, especially in the modern world, is to ascend towards enlightenment. We are in the age of enlightenment. It's to vibrate higher. That's our imperative. To not be a slave to our compulsions. And that will set your course and placement on what daily battles you fight and are fit for. And that will ultimately determine which needs you are stuck in, what you are working to have to satisfy, and what rung of the hierarchy. It's not the other way around. You don't elevate before you transcend. You transcend, then you elevate. Ask yourself with honesty, what comes first, virtue or victory? Three questions for you, my friends. Question one, how much room do you make for your vices? Do you somehow always find a way to sustain your indulgences? No matter the constraint on time, place, or income? Question two, what virtues do you postpone until a time in the future where you have arrived? Is it possible that the mirror can reflect your aspirations sooner than you think? And the last question, how else in life do you play the short game? Where else do you overlook the longer term, patiently earned yield and compromise it for short-term gain? Can you find at least one avenue in your life where you flip this dynamic and invest in the future you? Play the long game. Love you, family. Until the next one.